hands to the Father, but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. Let's pray together. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life and that you'd minister to my heart in a powerful way, Lord that I would feel you. And Lord, I ask you to help me to understand your word. Lord, help me to, to have spiritual insight in your word that I may understand it so that I can speak it and do it and see it change my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're continuing our series the marks of a Christian, the, true, the marks of a true Christian. And I want you to think about that term, a true, a true Christian, because one of the challenges that we have in South Africa today is there are many people who give themselves the title Christian, but when you look at the Bible and you look at their lives, it's not the same thing. And the biggest challenge of all of that is, is that that turns the church, which is the most powerful organization on the face of the planet, because it operates with the blood of Jesus, it operates under the power of the Holy Spirit, it operates under the anointing of God, and it is the only plan that God has for the restoration of the world. And now when, 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 the, when the believers in the church are living something different from what the Bible says, then the, that, that powerful church becomes powerless, because the church is only powerful because of the power of God, because of the strength of God. Because of the glory of God shining through it. The Bible also said that Jesus declared that you are the light of the world. Now in John chapter 1 it says that Jesus is the light of the world. But now you church are the light of the world. In other words, wherever you aren't, there is darkness. Wherever you are, there is no darkness. This is what the Bible says. But when you don't live according to the word and you don't carry the marks of being a true Christian, then at the end of the day, where there should be light because you're there, there's still darkness. Because you switched the light off. You never went to stage six load shedding, you went to stage 800. <laughs> All right, that's a total blackout. The grid is down. I mean, the grid, we're talking about your power grid, I mean. Now, we spoke the first week about the, the mark being love. And now we started last week by looking at if, you, if, you, if the mark that is on your life, the mark of you being a true Christian is love, then what is one of the aspects of that? And that's love and mercy. So that's got to be true about you. In Romans chapter 12 verse 10, and I want to read it from both translations, the New King James first, be kindly affectionate to one another. Now you know if you're kind to someone, you're doing good things for them, and they don't deserve it. They deserve the opposite. You know what kindness is? I can give you an example. Being kind is, for example, if you take maybe a Jew who came out of one of the death camps somehow and wasn't killed there in the Second World War by Hitler's armies and things, and they come out, and the next thing they meet, one of the people who was working in the death camp, 
that put a number of maybe their family members into the gas chamber in that death camp, and this person now after World War II blesses that person. That blessing of this person, of that person, is what you call kind. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not, la not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Now the, the New Living Translation puts it this way. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. All right, and then it says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. You know, when we're worshiping Yah and we're singing Crossfire or one of these songs that we were singing, that is serving the Lord enthusiastically. When you're raising your hands and you're giving a shout of praise to the Lord your God, no matter how you feel, that is serving the Lord enthusiastically. When you go and you reach out to someone and you're generous to someone out there, that is serving the Lord enthusiastically. You know, when you give to the poor, you are serving the Lord. And then it goes on and it says in verse 12, Rejoice in our confident hope. We are confident of the hope that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. We have a hope that goes when we're in the coffin, we will be living in the hope of the Lord God. We are confident in that hope. So rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Notice it doesn't say keep on worrying. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, what we looked at last week was the fact that there is no love without mercy. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so if you want to obtain mercy, you need to give mercy. But we don't give mercy out of a selfish motive to get mercy. We give mercy because that's who we are. We are like God. Therefore, we are merciful. And what is the meaning of mercy? And I wanted to read this to you because we, we went through it. And if you never saw youth on Friday night, then please go have a look at it. First of all, there's a debate where a whole lot of people are talking rubbish about all sorts of... And man, some of the things that were said... I mean, transgenderism was defended and all sorts of... I mean, you need to go just see it for that. Do you understand what I'm saying? They defended transgender, you know what I'm saying? In a church, oh my word, I couldn't believe it. I was sitting right there and I was thinking, my word, what's going on here? But anyway, Patrick then spoke about character. And the definition for mercy is character. And what is, what is it if you're a person of character? Matthew 5, 43 to 47. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Ah, hate your enemy, no problem, but love your neighbor. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to that racist person that hates you. Let that sink in for a second. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How many times have you complained that people use you? 
Be kind to those who spitefully use you. In other words, they're using you and their intention towards you is bad. And then it goes on and it says, um, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That you may be called a child of God. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors, which is the corrupt, do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what that is saying. That is the definition of going totally and utterly outside of yourself. And here's the thing. We see that mercy is not the world's way. The world says, if I don't look after myself, no one will. But that selfish attitude is not the DNA of Jesus. If you are like the world, you are not shining a light. Now last week I had to finish because we ran out of time. So I'll carry on where I left off. And that was, Jesus, was shown mercy, Jesus showed mercy but he was not shown mercy. I want you all to look at me and I want you to listen very carefully to that. Jesus showed mercy, but he was not shown mercy. And he hadn't even sinned. Just think about that. Because that is our example. That is our model. He showed mercy to people who showed no mercy to him. How much like Jesus are you? Now, I just want to interrupt this message with an important announcement. One of the things when you're discipling someone is that you've often got to chirp them. When they're taking decisions that go outside of the Word of God, if you're discipling someone, you've got to speak to that person. Because according to Almighty God, they are under your authority, and according to Almighty God, you are going to answer for how they do in this life, and you are going to answer because you are responsible to, prevent, to, to present them holy and blameless before the Father. I just want to tell you that within the church, and I've been going through it with my 12 uh, recently, this thing that says do not judge. Okay, don't say it about other people. That, that's, that is spoken of in terms of you. But in terms of within the church, the, the Bible says that if we don't judge each other, then we're going to fall under the judgment of God. And so everything that I'm going to say now, I want to remind you of that context. Because even when we're discipling someone, there has to be an attitude of mercy. And that attitude says you're not finished you may be dumb you may be stupid as anything but you're not finished and I'm not giving up on you the entire context of the word of God and of being like Jesus starts there but notice Jesus was incredibly merciful but he spoke very strongly against sin but who did he speak strongest against he spoke against those that were often leaders in the church that made like they were all perfect and everyone else wasn't. 
Now I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus was the most merciful human being that ever lived. Never has there been someone that was as merciful as Jesus and never again will there be another human being until Jesus comes back that will be as merciful as Jesus. How merciful must you be when you get hung on a cross for other people's sins and you die their death for their sins and you accept the wrath of your Father for their sins, not your own. How much mercy must you have? If you look at Jesus when he was walking the earth, he reached out to heal the sick. He restored the cripple. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the dead. And he even gave, he gave hearing to the deaf, sorry. And he even gave life to the dead. I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at the paraplegic that was brought to Jesus, you know the one that they had to rip open the roof to let him down so he could get in because the room where Jesus was was too full? What does Jesus say to him first of all? Your sins are forgiven. That guy wasn't the guy that deserved healing. Before Jesus healed him, he forgave his sins. By the way, he would later heal him, but the forgiveness was a far bigger gift than giving a quadriplegic, a quadriplegic the ability to walk. If you look at Jesus in his life, he found prostitutes. He found tax collectors. He found the debauched and the drunken of society. And what did he do with them? He drew them into his circle of love and forgiveness. That's what he did. Now I just want to just caution you before I go on. That doesn't mean sin's okay. That doesn't mean yourself you tell someone I'm sure it'll be fine. No, it's not fine. Because sin is deadly. And sin will kill you. Sin's not fine. And I want to give you that preface because now I'm going to switch on to grace and what Jesus actually did. But sin is not fun. If you find yourself saying, I'm sure it'll be all right, it's never all right. The moment you find, if you hear the words coming out of your mouth, I'm sure it'll be right if you're lying. Get on your knees and repent. It's not all right. All right? Understand that the... the um, the standard of God is so high that we could never meet it. And that's the reason for the rest of the sermon. Now if you look at in, in Jesus' time, there were guys who themselves were falling short. The scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus is busy there and he's teaching in the temple. And the next thing the scribes and the Pharisees come and they've gripped this woman and they've got her by the hair and, they, and they've got her half naked and they bring her there into the middle of the temple with hardly any clothes on and all sorts of stuff, and they throw her before Jesus. And they say to Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. Now, one of the things that's interesting, they caught her in the act of adultery, and yet where was the man? I'll never forget, I heard this sermon many years ago, and for some reason, maybe, I don't know why, but it never occurred to me before, they caught her in the act of adultery. In other words, they caught her while she's having sex with a man she's not made to. And yet they only brought her into the temple. And the sermon I heard, it was in the 1990s, and this minister said, what, Jesus, what he believes Jesus was writing on the sand is, where's the man? <laughs> Yo, and I don't know, I mean, I was in my 20s at that stage, and I thought, 
Why did this never occur to me? Where's the, I mean, how are you caught in the act of adultery and you only bring the woman? And I want you to realize whenever you judge other people, and I tell me now about me judging or some other person, people judge me. What I, now stop, stop crying about when you judge. Because God's not going to hold you to account when other people have judged you. He's going to hold you to account when you've judged them. So now these, these Pharisees teach us, when you're judging someone else, first question, where's the man? You're letting someone off scot-free. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. Whenever you're judging someone out there, you are letting someone else off scot-free. And so now they say, Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery, and you know what the law says. The law says she should be stoned to death. Actually, the law says her and the man must be stoned to death. And now they say to him, so... What do you say? And they were hoping to trick Jesus. You see, Jesus was now going to be walking into a trap. If he said, ah, forgive her, then they were going to say, yeah, look at him. He breaks the law of Moses. If he said, go stone her, yeah, look at him, there's no mercy. But man, you can see Jesus was God. Because in John chapter 8, verse 7, it says, when they wait, eventually when he answers them, because they've been waiting for a while for answers, he says, he who, is, he, who, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman was standing in the midst. And when Jesus... And, and when now I want you to listen to this very carefully, these words. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to a woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, Lord, no one. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. No more. Now, everyone, please listen to me. He doesn't say to her, okay, go and sin some more. There has to be repentance. You have to decide, I want to change. Salvation depends on you deciding, I want to change. But he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, I mean, she's finished. Eh? She has no hope. No one can help this woman out. God said in the law, she's worthy of death. And what does Jesus say? She is worthy of death. He affirms that. To say that someone who's committed adultery, to say that someone who's in other, some other sexual sin or any kind of sin is worthy of death is true. They are worthy of death. But then he says, let the man who has not sinned cast the first stone. And you know, I'm telling you now, even if that first sin was, if that sin he was talking about was just the sin of adultery, they were already in trouble. So he gives us incredible mercy. Now, what was their response to this act of mercy that Jesus gave? Well, we see about this, the scribes and the Pharisees who can be like the pastors, who can be like you, 
We see in John 8 verse 59, at that point they picked up stones to throw at him. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw Jesus was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. How many times do you judge people and want to stone them with your words because they're doing something you don't approve with or they're hanging with a person you don't approve with or something like that? In the meantime, you yourself are making decisions that go against the word. So Jesus shows this incredible act of mercy and what do they want to do in response? They want to stone him. And this is the heart of people. If you look in the book, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, you see there that the scribes and the Pharisees came and asked his disciples why their master associated with such unworthy people. Now I want to ask you, who's the unworthy people to you? You know, a lot of people consider a lot of other people unworthy. And who are you to decide that someone is unworthy? And the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are coming, they're saying to the disciples, how does your master, he's supposed to be such a rabbi, such an honorable teacher, he's supposed to be, he's calling himself the son of God, how does he hang out with these unworthy people? They ask that question because they operate under the merciless systems of the world. Now the world has two merciless systems. We see that the more that Jesus showed mercy, the more he exposed the mercilessness of the religious leaders. When you just show mercy, you expose the mercilessness of the world. The ultimate outcome of his mercy was the cross. And at Jesus, if you see at the crucifixion of Jesus, you see that there were two merciless systems. There was the merciless government and there was merciless religion. And the merciless government relied with the merciless religion they united to kill him. In spite of this mercilessness, in spite of the injustice of the cross, listen, if you feel you've been hard done by, if you feel that any injustice has been done against you, please think about Jesus. Please consider Jesus before you complain about it. Please be grateful for what Jesus did for you before you complain about it, before you, you say things about it. Because Jesus showed incredible mercy. He deserved not to die, yet he died the worst of deaths. That was reserved for the worst of criminals. And through that act of mercy, we're able to receive his mercy, and thus we become conduits of mercy to the world. A conduit is like a pipe. You become a pipeline for the mercy of God to flow through you, through your life, into the world. Let me tell you, every time someone does something to you, that is an opportunity for the mercy of God to flow through you, through your life, through your heart, out to that other person. It's only someone who's blessed that can do that. It's only someone who's blessed that can give the same mercy that Jesus gave. 
this, this shows that the mercy you give to men doesn't come from men. It comes from God. Let, let me tell you something. You cannot give mercy like Jesus gave if the power of God is not flowing through you. If we are merciful to others, then God will be merciful to us. Are you allowing God to use you to be merciful? Now I want you to think about this term, merciful. What is merciful? What is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? Being merciful is compassion in action. How much compassion do you have? Compassion means you're holding your hands out to other people. What merciful is not, it is not a detached or powerless emotion, a feeling or a sentiment that is unwilling or unable to help those you feel sympathy for. Just because you feel sympathy, just because you cry a few tears, just because you feel bad for someone doesn't mean you're showing them mercy. Mercy is, being merciful is also not false mercy. You know that fake pity. Sometimes we act. Oh, that's so terrible. Oh, oh, John, you broke your foot. Oh, that's so terrible. Oh, and I stand on his foot. Sorry, boy. It's also not the kind of mercy that we show just to ease our guilty conscience or to impress others of our goodness. The Lord's kind of mercifulness is not passive. It's not a silent concern, which although it's genuine, we, we, could be, we genuinely concerned for someone, it, there's no tangible help you can give to someone. Compassion in action is tangible. You can touch it, you can see it. So what is this merciful action? It is genuine compassion expressed in genuine help. It is selfless concern expressed in selfless actions. So what is Jesus saying? And I want you to hear this. He's saying that the people in my kingdom are not takers but givers. They're not pretending helpers but they're practical helpers. They're not condemners but mercy givers. Are you allowing Jesus to express that through your life? Those people that are selfish, those people that are looking to be self-satisfied, those people that are self-righteous, you know people that are like that, they never bother to help anyone unless there's something in it for them. And I want to ask you today, how many times before you're going to go and do something for someone else that is going to inconvenience you, how many times are you only willing to do it if there's something in it for you. What's one of the sentences you hear in the world very often? What's in it for me? <clears throat> some Christians even sometimes, and I want you to listen very carefully what I'm telling you now. Some Christians sometimes even justify their lack of love, their lack of mercy, their lack of giving money, their lack of tithing under the pretense of some other spiritual responsibility. And 
They twist the word of God for their own gain. And what I want to say to you, and I was sitting with some guys yesterday and I told them this. When you're thinking about this, don't think of the pastor or some of the other people in the church or maybe a famous pastor that's on TV or something like that. You need to focus on you. You need to focus on yourself. Stop putting this on other people. You know, we we like to put everything on other people and speak about what they are and how useless they are or whatever we might want to say about them. But the reality is you've got to get to the place where God is speaking to you because the Bible has a message for you. And the only message that it gives you to give to someone else is twofold. The first is the gospel, that they can be saved, that Jesus can forgive your sin, a woman caught in adultery. You, You can be fully restored in him. You can get to heaven in spite of what you've done. That's a message. And the other one is like a prophetic message telling someone your life and your decisions don't line up with the word. You're headed for trouble. That's it. But even when I'm telling someone that, I need to be in a position where I'm doing it from an attitude of mercy. When I cannot do this, I need to pray. It's a question I want to ask you today in terms of this. What are you doing? Because if we take this a step further, you know what mercy is? Mercy is meeting people's needs. Mercy is when I go out of myself to meet someone's needs and it's a need they can't meet themselves. It's not just about feeling compassion, but it's about showing compassion. It's not only sympathizing, but it's actually saying, I'm giving you a helping hand. Mercy is not saying I'm going to pray for the hungry. Mercy is saying I'm giving food to the hungry. Mercy is not just saying I'm going to pray for the bereaved. Mercy says I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to bring comfort to the bereaved. Mercy doesn't just say that's nice to someone who's normally rejected. Mercy is when you go flat out and you love the rejected. Mercy is offering offering forgiveness to the offender. And companionship to the lonely. When Jesus was there on his knee and he's writing in the sand and he's waiting for the first guy that hasn't sinned to cast the first stone and then he gets up and he looks around he sees they're all gone the Bible says the youngest left first I mean the oldest left first then the youngest clicked after a while because you know it takes the younger the younger people longer to work out that there's a problem the younger people are always right they're always right but it takes them longer to work out wait a second this older guy's walking away so the world tells you when someone's old chuck them out yeah that's what Satan wants that's what the devil wants and by the way many young people here in the service you're going to get older 
What did Jesus do when he stands up? He says, no one's here to condemn you. He says that neither do I condemn you. He empowers her first. Because someone that's condemned cannot overcome. He empowers her first, then neither do I condemn you. I love you so much, he would have said, I'm about to die for you. In a little while, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for the sin that you were brought here before today. And by the way, I can't believe how those guys humiliated you like this. I can't believe what they did. So neither do I. So now you're empowered. Now that you know you're forgiven, go and sin no more. And I do want to warn you and give you a promise and hope. If you're, if you're in a situation like this woman is caught in the act of adultery, the first thing that this story gives us a picture of is the hope of Jesus. There's nothing that you cannot be forgiven of except rejecting Jesus. Everything else you'll be forgiven for. <clears throat> Look at the Apostle Paul. He tried to kill the church. He tried to destroy the church. And, and Jesus restored him to such an extent that he ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. So there's nothing you can't be restored of. That's the hope. But there's also a warning. Go and sin no more. Why? Because if you continue sinning, the death you've been experiencing and the destruction you're heading for is still there. I'm empowering you to overcome this. The blood that I've shed for you on the cross, I'm empowering you to overcome this. The Holy Spirit I've sent to you, which comes because I shed my blood on the cross, so I have a right to tell the Holy Spirit where to go, because when I was walking on the earth, He told me where to go. Now I tell Him where to go, and guess what? Because of the blood I shed on the, on the cross, I sent Him to you. He is available to you. You can overcome. You can overcome. But then to overcome... And this is the last thing. You need to set aside your pride. For some of you sitting here today, your biggest problem in sin is not the sin. The root of your sin that's got you is pride. And until your pride gets destroyed, and until your pride goes, you won't overcome. If you're sitting there thinking... My life's so good and I'm doing so well. Be careful. That's often rooted in pride. Because the Lord wants us to be grateful for what He's done for us. The Lord wants us to recognize where everything that we have comes from. So be careful. You call me out upon the
I trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior.